Hello. This is required viewing. Return of the Mac. How'd you get so many? Return of, of the Mac. Bow, wow, wow. You know what isn't a good song? Who let the dogs out? <laughs> there was a very sketchy period in music. Good is relative because I feel like we enjoyed that song. Yeah, when you it can't came deny out. that when when it came out, all of us kids were jumping around like little insane people. Absolutely, bouncing around, being like, "Oh my god!" Doing the barking bits with your friends, barking what, across the room. What 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 was your first animal? Did you have a cat or a dog or some other small creature? What was your first pet? I think it was really close because we had cats at my mom's house and dogs at my dad's house. And I feel oh. like my biggest memory was getting our dog, Ina. She was an American Eskimo. And when we first got her, she did not like me. I that adds up for I American Eskimos. Mostly I just remember her Her name was Sugar. Okay. And then we renamed her Ina because of the French film La Belle et la Bette from Jean Cocteau. Mm. There's this big, gorgeous scene. Have you seen it? Mm-hmm. Big, gorgeous scene where he's they're going through and the music's getting bigger and he's looking for his horse after having this horrifying experience with La Bette, the beast. And then he's just going, Ina! And he's like looking for her. The music is getting all grandiose and dramatic, and this like the cinematography and the garden scene. Ina. So my stepmom loved that, and we named her Ina, which was better than Sugar. Yeah, for sure. I don't like Sugar. I've renamed a lot of my pets. Sugar, Little Man. These are not good names. Mm, no. But I remember, remember being in the living room that you now have been in. We were in that living room with a big bay window. Oh yeah. And that I think that breeder had brought her in and she was like barking at me and I just remember climbing into like this big armchair because she just kept barking and that's like the end of that memory it's like <laughs> fade fade out to black oh my gosh that's so funny <laughs> don't remember but then she ended up being such a great dog and one of my favorites and she lived a long time but she was obsessed with my stepmom she it was that sort of thing where you'd be like where's Karen where's Karen she was like whoa, whoa, whoa. And then she'd go running around the house in circles, like, looking for her. It was hilarious. I had a series of unfortunate events with my first few pets. You're going to say I had a series of unfortunate pets. <laughs> well, you could say that. I could, well, my mom and dad got me a fish. Everything was so they couldn't, I, they just didn't want to get a dog. They were very <laughs> anti-dog for a really long time. There was a fish, and the goldfish died immediately. There was a gerbil. We got a pair of gerbils. Too. Ew, why would you get a gerbil over a dog? My, they smell the, worse. The gerbil was an easier sell, but we didn't do any research. And we got two male gerbils, and they fucking fought, and we had to separate them. And mine you play was- that theme from Star Trek. <laughs> it was gnarly, man. My little brother's gerbil was much younger than my gerbil, and my gerbil died within a year, and his lived for fucking ever. Like, we had that gerbil for ages. And then eventually, I did- After a while, you're like, great, we've got this gerbil now. I did research for the better part of a year, because my brother and I were both allergic to animals, Mm -hmm. like much more allergic than I am now. And I looked for six, eight months to find a whole list 
of hypoallergenic dogs mm-hmm. that don't really shed or have dander. Mm-hmm. We found Irish Terrier. So I finally convinced my parents for my 12th birthday, we drove fucking five hours to Iowa to a breeder and we got, got my dog. Darby O'Gill, well, Irish Terrier. You're the little people. We were the little people. But you weren't. No, we weren't. Because <laughs> you're not a little person. No. You're quite tall. I was honestly, even when I was little, I was still pretty big. I was definitely in the back you and of I those were class always, photos. You and I were always like in the tall bracket. Like me next to the teacher at the end. <laughs> like I'm not even on, <laughs> on the risers anymore. Like, who's that teacher's assistant over there? She looks real young. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> It was always like Andre the Giant in kindergarten. Well, so. we couldn't have cats because my brother Austin was allergic to cats. Still is very allergic to cats, which is still my favorite comment from him about being a guy trying to date in this world is he's like post-pandemic. He's like so many. I didn't realize how many women had cats Yeah, and how much like. Yeah, allergy medication I have to bring with me. And I was like, yeah, condoms, allergy medication, check, check. <laughs> That's what you need now. Um, my dad was very anti-cat. He, he was anti-cat. cultivated an anti-cat household. How did he, he basically, cultivate an anti-cat? He, he like- literally told us that cats were evil. All cats were mean. They're going to piss on your stuff. They're going to scratch it all up. You know, cats okay, are I have a really theory, bad animals. He just sold this on me. Animals are very instinctive i think that maybe a lot of cats were just pissing on his stuff yeah the cats probably just didn't like my dad but i'm gonna tell you right now cats like me and i like cats and cats for the most part if you're a good owner you're gonna have a good animal it doesn't matter if cats it's a cat know or a cat dog. people oh 100 and dogs know dog people even though oliver's always trying to convince cat people that they like dogs he's like hey hey I'm kind of like a cat. But we had two cats at my mom's house. So we were able to have cats over there and then dogs. At, because my See, mom was a nice split. My mom wasn't a dog person, but that's because she grew up in the hood. So no one's really a, quote, dog person in the hood. Well, why the fuck are we talking about dogs so goddamn much, you ask? Well, first off, welcome back to the Required Viewing Podcast. I'm Erin. I'm Chloe. And... This week, we're heading outdoors with our book-to-film adaptations. Three tragically testosterone-filled tales of boys <laughs> in the woods. They're very tragic. <laughs> they, yeah, get, get some Kleenex out today, guys. So we have The Call of the Wild, Jack London from... 1972. You uh, damn dirty dogs. <laughs> A Cry <laughs> in the Wild from... 1990. And that's the movie based on the Hatchet book for those who are confused by how many cries and wilds are in all these titles. Be a lot of crying in this episode because. <laughs> and then rounding things out with some serious sadness, where the red fern grows from two thousand and three. But also, we also, watched. I think it's the seventy four version. Yeah, we got a little confused. We watched multiple versions There's of the same movie. There's a lot of versions, which I think is a good point to bring up. We're going to talk about their book to film adaptation oh, for sure. So everybody thinks, you know what? I read that book once upon a time. I can do it better. I'm gonna do- yes, yeah. I can do anything you could do, I can do better. But surprise, that's not always true. So I literally read every single one of these in school. Mm-hmm. Every one of these was a school book. Did you read all of these in school? I definitely read Hatchet. I feel like I know about the story of where the red fern grows. I don't remember if I read it or not. I feel like I did, though. These were all the books that we read they were the americana books you got Mm -hmm. in your middle school to high school Mm -hmm. your kind of coming of age books 
And Call of the Wild was pretty standard for most English classes for a long time. Well, because time. it had to do with the gold rush yeah. and history so then you could talk and history. Alaska. Yeah. And I think that was the other part, moving up to the Pacific Northwest. They're like, you're closer to Alaska, so it makes more sense. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of kids actually in high school in like Bellingham would go up to Alaska to the fisheries and the canneries and either be on fishing boats all summer or work in the canneries and can fish all summer and then come back with a bunch of money. Well, that sounds smelly. Yeah. And then there are younger kids. And then the other people that are working there are people who literally don't go home to go back to high school. They're like, this is my life. And I go and drink after that. And I go back to the cannery and then I go and drink after that. And I'm going to hang out with some high school kids. Oh my God. (laughs) That's... That is a life. That is a different life for sure. Much like the lives that these people were living. And I'm looking forward to getting into these Mine movies. Minus the cannery. I don't think there was like a full cannery, but no. they were canning their own stuff. Dude, these movies are going to make you want to go camping. Definitely. These movies made me want to get away from people. Okay. For I sure. was like, ooh, they're living that life like just out in the wilderness away from people. That sounds nice. These <laughs> movies also made me want to rescue a dog. Oh, like, yeah. They definitely made me want to get another dog. So let's just get into it. Let's kick it off. Call of the Wild. John Thornton, played by the one, the only, Charlton Heston. He's got a bone to pick with Alaska and a, gold. <laughs> a prospector. <laughs> Could you see? I don't see Charlton Heston as a prospector. He didn't really want to be a prospector no. in the movie. He kept saying that like that wasn't his thing and that all the people that were going for gold were fools and that he was going to make money off of them. By selling them goods he if did. they didn't die. Charles Nixon. <laughs> he did not like people. We're going to get to it. But yeah. that's what I guess maybe when I think of a prospector, I think of somebody that's... Surly old coot who yeah. likes the woods and dogs yeah. b- yes. better than people. So I feel like that works. But I also don't really see Charlton Heston going, there's gold in them dark the hills. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't really see that coming from him. So he's a prospector in the 1897 Klondike Gold Rush is trying to eke out a living in the harsh conditions of the bitterly cold Yukon region of Canada. Okay, I have to make an embarrassing sidebar. When I hear Klondike and you keep talking about cold region, that just makes me want an ice cream sandwich. I know, we're going to get some ice cream after this. Okay, good. Maybe go adopt a dog. Don't tell Rob. <laughs> oh my, he'll know. <laughs> we can't sneak one in here and just keep it in the basement? I've literally hit a person in my bedroom for an entire summer. We can hide a dog. The entire summer is impressive. I did it for an evening. No, I did it for fucking four months. It was great. Anyway. (laughs) He's in Canada with Buck, the German shepherd dog he befriends along the way. Thornton struggles against unscrupulous rivals and natural hazards in the extreme conditions and is greatly helped by Buck, who has his own story to tell. He was abducted from a family home and taken north to become a working sled dog. Man and dog forge a true bond of friendship, working together to survive a life in the treacherous frozen north. Thornton is killed by Yeehat Indians. And Buck kills the men to avenge John at the end. He also scares him away. Yeah. They're like, we tell a tale, this old Indian tale of this dog that all the other wild dogs follow because he's so ferocious. And then all the Indians go, we're not going to fuck with that dog. That's essentially the story. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, that's basically it. That was great. That was perfect. Getting a kick out of this. Yeah, that was great. That was the and end at the end, I was like, oh yeah, that story they told where he was talking about that goes, okay, I get it. 
So at the end of the film, Buck comes back to the White River to mourn the place where John died. And everyone is uh, only kind of sad because Charlton had... There was... Okay. Where, why should we give a shit? This is a literary classic film version. There is a newer version with... Um, Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. Who I feel like we were talking about this. And I made I believe Harrison Ford more than I believe Charlton Heston. Oh, for, for sure. sure. He seems like he wants to be outside more. He does like being outside more. But He's I a pilot. also feel like Harrison Ford is the modern day Charlton Heston. That's an interesting a observation. Little bit. He's more like a he's, little less he's NRA like mo- crazy. Yeah, but he's more modern because he's never been all about yelling. He's not always super been like racist, Why? but but uh, well, Charlton Heston isn't that racist though, because there was a I saw a video recently about Charlton Heston standing up at like a Black Civil Rights Union thing, and he was no wait was that Marlon Brando? The power of Ronald Reagan was real strong, man. He I turned like a lot was, of people to the dark side. I think it was after, yeah, it was Ronald Reagan when I'm he was saying, in the president. Like, because Charlton Heston, I feel like I remember him being at like a rally or something saying that this was ridiculous and that people should He used to be, be able to more see. progressive yes. until like the NRA and the conservatives got their hands into him. Yes. So there was a switch at some point. I think maybe this movie, maybe he spent a little too much time in Canada. <laughs> it was like, I'm becoming one with the trees. He's like, I really, I don't <laughs> like liberals. I really hate these people all around. Actually, a fun story. Charlton Heston hated this movie in his autobiography. It seems like he hates a lot of things. He's a very angry man. In the arena, the autobiography of Charlton Heston, it made it very clear how unhappy he was with the film and asked people not to watch it. <laughs> Can't you get sued for doing yes. that? I feel like if you were in a movie, they're like, yo, you can't do that. <laughs> you need to make up the deficit that your lack of acting from being pissed off all the time is done. Absolutely. It was poorly received upon release. And it wasn't until it was re-released in 1975 and then released again on TV, basically when the schools got a hold of it to watch it with, see. with the book. Okay. Then it started picking up in some popularity, which I think is really funny. Contemporary British and Irish film director, A Wildflower, this is a book called A Wallflower Critical Guide, describes... That this movie is a swing back to the action adventure, and that's why it's still important. This is a really big nod to the old westerns and like rugged outdoorsy sort of Mm -hmm. manly men. So that's the argument for why this is still important and why it's a decent movie. Some people claim that this is Charlton Heston at his best. I don't know about that. I still think that... um, Planet of the Apes is pretty choice Charlton Heston. I think this is a good movie. I think he was did well in it. I have a few questions for you. Hopefully I have some answers for you. What are your questions? Do you think that this was a story about a male friendship? It was definitely the main story was a man and his dog. Mm-hmm. Secondary. He kept trying to have this relationship with the saloon owner and kind of kept coming back to her. And then he was like, oh, I hate this life, but I like pussy, but I hate this life, but I need to get laid. Like that was his own kind of yeah. motivation. But then he had that redheaded friend who I knew was going to be right up your alley. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, that guy's doing it for you. He's out yeah, there in the wilderness, absolutely. like building shit, oh, yeah. painted for gold. He's got motivation. He, 
Aaron's dude. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Big burly redhead man. Oh yeah, I was like, sure. that was literally I was chuckling to myself the whole time because I was like, we're probably gonna talk about this because this guy was like all okay. And I think he was in the seventies. They did a better job of finding people. I feel like they did a better job of casting and finding people that were authentic. I wanted to bring that up when we talk about the re- where the red fern grows. Oh, girl, I was, I was, say, gonna I was trying both to lead these. into that. Yeah. yeah, into that later. But within this context of this movie, this guy, all the other movies I was looking at him in, he okay, Norwegian so, as hell. So what I was about to lead into while you're double checking his name. So this was, was shot asking, in was- Finland. Norway and Spain and Germany. It was okay. all shot on location. So they just picked him up. <laughs> yeah. They found it. And if you look at the credits, there's a bunch of French names, like French Canadian names in this movie associated with Raymond Harmstorf. 100% they picked that dude up. 1939 to 1998. And he was in a few other like cowboy movies and something else called The Lustful Barbarian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is not a I don't visual think medium. You needed to see that because I heard your jaw drop. <laughs> well, now I know what I'm oh watching tonight. 1971. We're tracking so down the lustful barbarian. It was the girl. year before this came out. <laughs> Raymond Homstorff. <laughs> Dude, I don't think I've ever heard your jaw so clearly before in my life. Oh my god. Yeah, he was all about and the the woman that played the saloon owner, she was French. So that makes sense. Yeah. I was kinda hoping they actually shot it in Alaska. No. <laughs> no, they were getting subsidies from other countries. <laughs> that's why when they picked his ass up, they probably got a tax break on him. Maybe that's He's why Charlton local. Huston was so angry. He was like, you know what? America needs this money. Yeah. He was like, Why are we doing this in Alaska in the tundra and all that? American stuff. I don't know. But do you think that they feel like those two died together? Do you think that they could have been together? They did a lot of camping. They're out there. Do a lot of this gold was runs. the 70s. We were it was already testy enough that we were letting boobs on TV. You know what I mean? I know. We weren't they, gonna get a broke back mountain I was in like, the 70s. We've gotta wait another 30-ish years for Brokeback Mountain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But maybe. I'm not going to say that that wasn't a possibility. I just feel like, oh, I always have trouble with ladies. He's like, yeah, but I'm your friend and I'm always here. Look how handsome I am. He's like, I do know how handsome you are. I think about it every day. <laughs> That's why I have trouble with the ladies. I know. He was just like, I have trouble with the ladies, but my friendship's always there. And then they ended up kind of dying together. That was a pretty epic scene, too, of Charlton Heston under the ice. Because he had, like gotten shot with an arrow yeah or a bullet because i think one of the native americans an, had a gun it was, an, it was a combination i think, I think, I think it was an arrow everything. whatever but he, he then the doc, buck was like where is he and then he was like i slid down under into some ice already <laughs> now i'm already under the ice and you can't save me there was a lot of distressful dog noises absolutely this was a bit rough in the beginning oliver was very enthralled also because whatever the version i saw had german title cards i thought that was really funny so it was like da wolfhound in charlton haston and you're just like oh god okay (laughs) like uh shout out to our german fans out there amen (laughs) so definitely watch this movie in german well it was a german shepherd that too, and yeah. that was the whole thing was that they it was Siberian huskies. There were other Iditarod style dogs, and German shepherds weren't typically 
no. the dog that you would get to do no. that. Because they also don't have as much fur. They have dense furry coats and they definitely can withstand cold weather, but not like Okay, I have something really nerdy to bring up. Newfoundland. Since you brought up the German Shepherd. Well, and that's a why man I, and his dog. I brought up German Shepherd because my dog is part German Shepherd. And well, yes. this dog looked a lot like my dog. It was being all blend up. And people were kicking the dogs because oh, they were just like, fuck you. That. They were like, fuck you. You're going to be an Iditarod dog if I have any say in it. And I was like, stop kicking those dogs. But Charlton Heston was a kind dog person in this movie. He was actually probably a kind dog person in real life. I feel like he if probably he liked dogs like better, better than, than people. people. Oh, yeah. So my nerdy, my nerdy tidbit. This movie, specifically this movie, as well as another movie that came out in the 70s called A Boy and His Dog, mm-hmm. are direct influences on the Fallout universe. When the Bethesda was creating the Fallout games, mm-hmm. they had some, some influences. So A Boy and His Dog is essentially a post-apocalyptic Dude finds a dog, goes on adventures, mm-hmm. which is essentially what the game but, Fallout is. Well, think but about what the, was it? The, iRobot, not iRobot. That one apocalyptic movie with Will Smith in it. He had a no, dog. No, that, that was iRobot. Yeah, mm-hmm. iRobot. Mm-hmm. So that's them. what. Yeah, that's all influences. I just nerdy tidbit for those who I like robot, video games. iRobot. iRobot had robots in it. This was the the zombie no, but, one that he was in. Oh, I guess. I zombie. I don't fucking know. I, yeah, I know. I what remember you're seeing it with my though. dad. My dad liked to do jump scares on me in real life. <laughs> I know what movie you're talking about. I can't remember the name of it. They're all I robot. It's I robot. I zombie. <laughs> I hutch. <laughs> no one cares about I Will Smith anymore. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I would love to see a crossover between I robot and hutch. It would make a lot more sense if fucking Paul Blart Mall Cop was a robot that he was trying to teach how to love <laughs> than it would fit in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. <laughs> I'm going to give you that. That's a gift to you. You think about the, the possibility of that movie. Oh, my, oh my fuck. <laughs> Just, okay. Also, Buck went off and found... A wild female mate. Yeah, he did. Had some Buck, babies. Honestly, Buck's story, which didn't have much dialogue in it, obviously. <laughs> Buck had way bigger of an adventure than Charlton Heston. He did. He went through some adversity. There was that dick lead dog, and then he fucking killed him. And he's like, I'm the lead. And they were, he's like, looks like we have another lead dog now, Charlton Heston. That's my lustful that barbarian imitation for that you because awesome. he was like also super 70s and obviously not from america so, so much mustache he was in supposed this movie. to be american he also had really well manicured hair yeah that's probably oh, what yeah. should have led me to believe that he wasn't american yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i was like you look like you know what you're doing with your facial hair and your beard you must not be from here uh the dog abduction. We need to talk about this dog it's abduction. It's so upsetting. It is so upsetting. Also, they have this like Hispanic servant and then they make him out to be this bad guy. So they do this. But you want to know why I feel like he's sold that dog? I think they were like, he's he's just an asshole and he's money grubbing and hungry. That fucking dumbass plantation owner, whatever he was came back and was reading out the listings for dogs and how much they cost yes, and where you that. can go and I saw that. sell them. What an idiot. And he was like, nothing's going to happen to us. 
that's white privilege for you right yeah. there. <laughs> and then on top of that, the girls were like watching those girls play with the dog. They were putting bows on him and they're like dressing him up and being really like aggressive with him. And then they were like, okay, we're done now. Sancho, whatever the fuck his name was. I think they called him Sancho. They're like, we're done now, Sancho. And they just threw shit on the ground. And then he was just like, okay, I guess I'll pick this up. I feel like he was probably trying to rescue that dog, but also he was in a bad way. Oh, absolutely. But I was like, I don't think he's the real villain here, even though he's not great. People are the villains in this movie is really what it is. Yeah. Yeah. One, do, okay. And then do Buck you remember runs off this to go book? be with his woman and his babies. Do you remember this book at all? Do you remember any of the book? Not as anything? much as I'd like to think I do. I honestly remember Hatchet and where the red fur yes, grows. Yes, I remember more Hatchet way than, more. But I do. I remember feeling um, that this book was difficult to get through because there was so much violence towards animals, mm -hmm. and that's one of the reasons that this book was banned. They thought that the excessive violence towards animals. Well, at least – okay, so this book has been banned a couple of times. <laughs> and then unbanned and then banned again? Correct. And there's actually – So then are they ever really banned? The Wizard of Oz books are currently going through that. The Wizard of Oz books have been banned and unbanned three times, and they're getting ready to be banned again. What does that even mean now? It means that all of this shit is subjective. That's what it fucking means. That's because I was like, if you're banning and unbanning it things based off the time It means we should all period. be able to read whatever we want. It means that your parents should tell you, well, you should eventually think for yourself and be able to choose whatever you want to read. But People don't learn how to do that until college. <sighs> That's not true. That's not true. I definitely, you, I have told you this off mic. I used to go to Borders bookstores and read all the books that my dad wouldn't let me bring true. home. So they're... If you there's, there's a, will, a there's, there's a way, my friend. So okay, so that's I gotta, not true. People will definitely go through their turbulent high school teenage years and do whatever it is that they want. But I feel like once you're out of your parents' home for the first time and able to kind of like live on your own, you know what I mean? You're like, oh, I'm gonna make. You're making all of your own choices for, for yourself. Sure. I I see your point, but it also depends on where you live and the. Like freedom of speech, that's something we have in this country. Depends on we your get upbringing get... too. What your what's been banned in your house before schools banned it? You know what I mean. So the first time this book had a big <clears throat> outcry against it was during because this book is was written in nineteen oh three nineteen oh seven. Yeah, I was like Jack London is like a ancient old writer. Ancient. The the Nazis were in an uproar about this book, and they this was a book on their topped burned list why because they claimed that the socialism in the book angered and threatened their existence isn't that what socialism in the book i didn't think there was a bunch of socialism in the book but according Saw a bunch of people trying to cut each other's throat to get to the golden country well maybe that's it like that everybody... was satisfying though yeah. in that like group at the end where she was like being a real bitch she's like let's spend three thousand dollars and that husband was like uh i don't think this is a good idea and she was like my brother's a man you're not a man i was like you're fucking your brother did you get that vibe oh 100 percent. i was like you guys are fucking that's they weird. were we yeah that was a weird, weird they did coupling yeah, it wasn't a it wasn't a brother sister brother sister vibe when they all died i was like yeah i also got really excited i was like sinking into that thing he was like save them i was like you I saved them. Charlton Hester has the right idea. Let them die. Because <laughs> they bought, but then that was the other thing was he only was able to save Buck and then all their dogs, those were all their dogs. Yeah. 
And they were like, this is the finest team. And then all their dogs just. But I feel like that was the shittiest those, part of all of that. All was, the humans in this movie are stupid. They were just stealing things. And they're like, well, that's how it works in the Wild West. We just steal things. And now it's not yours anymore. And you're like, and on the off chance that you're going to come across those dogs again, I would be like, you two, you three seem like you're having a rough time and you're already about to die. I'm keeping these dogs. I'm going to push you into that lake. Feel like I'm doing the world a favor. <laughs> you see all the shit that they tried to like bring on that fucking sled, and oh, the absolutely. whole town was like, and they were You're like, "Bitch, stupid. you need to fucking walk right now." That one woman was trying to be kind too. She was like, "I know they're a bunch of aggressive drunk men, but they listen to them. They have a lot of experience." She was like, "Shut up, bitch." She was like, okay, die, right. girl, now, die. Like, now you get to die because you weren't listening. I tried to help you, and everything after this is just going to be sweet, sweet karma. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of karma in this movie. I was kind of hoping that Charlton Heston would get to... Yeah, I was kind of hoping that Charlton Heston would get to like live out his gold dreams with Buck and be you know, happy. Buck, Buck's the, the hero of this. So did you ever forget that this was also a part of a series? Yes. This is the White Fang series. I yeah, forgot about that right. entirely. That's this right. is book White one Fang. of uh, the White Fang series. Because okay. then the next book is White Fang. And yes. I vaguely remember us maybe reading that one too. I remember reading that lightly, but I don't remember it that but well. The over, I think the overall, let's just keep this question hanging over this episode. What's important about all of these stories about men having connections with the wilderness. It's not just with the animals. I'm going to say the, the animals wilderness. are a part of the wilderness. Because every movie we watch today and every book that it's adapted from, it was very important in school to read about these human connections with the wilderness. From the outside, my boyfriend was like, why is Aaron making you watch all these movies about dead dogs? <laughs> it does seem like that. I when know I was it like, does. Well, we all read these books in school, but when, yeah, when you put them all together like this in this context, it does seem like there is an overarching theme of dead dog. I'm sorry. <laughs> This is not going to be titled the dead dog episode. No, there's other themes there's that actually are more overlapping. No dead dogs in the second movie. There are not any dead dogs in the second movie. Yeah. And that was appreciated. It was a nice, refreshing needed, breath of fresh air. It was a little like Planet Earth. Actually, are you ready? You ready to dive into Planet the next Earth movie? with the world's dumbest kid? <laughs> we okay, can talk about it was that. Like, it was, we could talk about that. It's like Jackass for one meets Planet Earth. <laughs> Brian. Brian. Go away, Brian. <laughs> Brian, you should have died. Bitch, you looked out. You shit yourself from berries <laughs> and died out from dysentery. Man, that bear would have found you with I a played Oregon Trail. He should have lost in the first 30 days. <laughs> Get into it. Oh my God. You would have found a little dead kid sized body with a spray of berries coming out of him. Just like, well, here lies Brian. <laughs> a cry in the wild. Brian Barry Eaton Robeson is the 13-year-old son of divorced parents. <laughs> I it's important. Really like this. It's That's important the first to know. sentence because it's the first sentence. Is that the first sentence in the book? <laughs> is it the first sentence in the book? Brian's no. parents are divorced. No, but I felt it was important to top it off with, hey, you know, this divorce, it's really going to come up a lot in the next <laughs> 90 minutes. Half the, <laughs> half the movie is wilderness shots, which are gorgeous, and the other half are sad kid divorce scenes <laughs> that you're just gonna have to bear with us through 
As he travels from Hampton on a single-engine Cessna bush plane to visit his father in the oil fields of northern Canada for the summer, the pilot suddenly suffers a massive heart attack and dies. Before this, <laughs> he goes, <laughs> Before this, it's very important to the title. It's called A Cry in the Wild, but it's based off the book Hatchet. Hatchet. His mom gives him a hatchet. Hatchet. <laughs> and she's like, I want to take a picture. Put it on your belt. There's a belt hook. Thank God for that fucking was belt like, hook, man. I was man. like, what you said when we were watching, you're like, thank God for that belt loop. Otherwise, you would. <laughs> <laughs> I know he thought it was rude. dorky. He literally was like, mom, it's so this is dumb. dorky. But we're like, motherfucker, that's going to save you in 20 really minutes. They're really setting the <laughs> 20 minutes. They're really 20 setting. 20 movie minutes. 20, yeah. Well, it was probably 20 airborne minutes, too. It felt like <laughs> he wasn't flying for very long. But I think that they're really setting the mood for his parents are divorced. He's a moody teenage boy who's already going through some shit. And he obviously blames his mother for the divorce. Because he's not talking to her. She's like, we need to talk about something serious, Brian. And he's like, mom, sweet guitar solo. <laughs> Check this out. She's like, oh, he's just such a teenage boy. I just feel like they don't have a good relationship. <laughs> okay, but remember, this came out in 1990. And in the 80s and 90s, that was the divorce, divorce was like that was on the, the rise. Well, that Kramer was the time versus Kramer. Mm -hmm. That was like the whole... Divorce was like the on hot the topic for kids because divorces were happening so much more frequently than they ever had. So these are the so kids. no one know how, no one knew how to deal with it. These are the kids that aren't like us who are like, oh, all my friends' parents are divorced, my parents are divorced. This kid was like, what? I'm one of the few parents who are getting divorced. Is it my fault? Yes, Brian. Yeah, yeah definitely. Because <laughs> it's you, Brian. Yes, Brian. It's definitely your fault. It is your fault. That's why your mom's sending you to Northern Canada for the summer. <laughs> she needed a break. You and I also were looking at this pilot before they got in the plane. And he, what did he say? Yeah, he was like, "I don't feel good." He goes, he goes, "I don't feel very good." Can you take the plane over? It's it's easy. And he's like, "Uh, okay." So then he suffers from a massive heart attack, and he's just dead in the plane, which is great. There's a massive man just dead while Brian's sitting there trying to be like, "What do I do?" And then he sits there. <coughs> And lets the fucking plane run out of fuel like a stupid cunt. He was like, there's gas that would just go forever. I'll keep flying till... Obviously, yeah, he doesn't even know where he's, what it looks like or where he's supposed to land. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't have a map. I doubt he knows how to read a map. I do feel like he did one thing right. He tried to use the radio and tried to radio in. Yes. But he didn't know how to use the radio very well, and okay. he used it way I'm too a late. I'm making a tally right now of all the things that Brian, Brian does did wrong. correct and what he does wrong. Well, you know that the wrong tally is going to be much longer than the correct tally. Well, you and technically, I were even the right tally is still wrong because he took forever to do the right thing. So he does one right thing okay. right here. He does He's one good. right he, thing. In the plane, he in did the plane, one, one singular right thing. Use the radio. But, but then he, didn't he ran all the well. <laughs> we'll give it one. We'll give okay. him the one. We'll give, we'll give him the one. All right, we'll give him one. All right, Brian. <laughs> if you're we're, listening we're, out we're, there. We're keeping a tally right now, Brian. <laughs> Brian tries to land the plane, but ends up crash landing into a lake. So I, I don't know if he did the lake on purpose or not. I feel like it's lucky as fuck that he hit lucky. the lake. So I don't know if that's a right or a wrong. Anyway. Crash lands into a lake in the middle of a vast forest. Throughout the summer, Brian learns how to survive on his own in the vast wilderness with nothing but his windbreaker and a hatchet 
a gift his mother gave him shortly before his plane departed. By the way, it's worth mentioning that the fucking pilot, they're trying to give you all these lines that make it very obvious about what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Because he goes, do you have a bag or are you just going to wear that all summer? (laughs) And then he fucking crash lands and doesn't get his bag out right away. So he does end up having to wear this fucking windbreaker all summer. The foreshadowing is rather transparent in this movie. Yes. Okay, actually, you know what? That is a good point. That is the wrong thing. He didn't get anything from the plane. No. Afterwards. Not a first aid kit. Not a... No. Nothing. No. No He doesn't go... There's food in there. We have to get through the description because this cunt... Oh, my God. I just got to mark the wrong that he just did. He's wearing the old ass windbreaker for the whole summer. He discovers how to make a fire with the hatchet and eats whatever food he can find from, okay, ra- he- <laughs> from rabbits and roughed grouse, which he nicknames fool birds, to turtle eggs, fish, and berries, which he shits out violently. And I remember the bear walks by and is like, ugh. <laughs> Even the bear is like, I wasn't going to eat those berries. Everybody knows fuck. you're not supposed to eat those. There's some new ter- You're not from around there's here. There's some fresh meat in here. That means there's a dumbass. We're going to have dipshit for lunch, kids. Oh my god. He's plagued by this bear all summer long. Oh yeah. Simultaneously, he deals with many of nature's dangers, including mosquitoes, a porcupine, two huge bears. I think it's the same bear. Yeah, I thought it was the same bear too, but maybe it's maybe it's two two different ones. Maybe it's the mom and the dad. Maybe. One of which is a mother with her cubs, a pack of three wolves, a skunk, a bad-tempered female moose. I wouldn't fuck with a moose. No Me way. Neither. Uh-uh. I've no seen, way. <laughs> I've encountered them in the wild. They're they're a, ter- well, I guess technically there's no moose here in Colorado. It's elk. Elk. No, there's moose here. There's moose up in Colorado. The one I saw last summer in Vail was a moose. Yeah. It was dark in color and it was it was the biggest thing I've ever Had, seen did it in have my its life. Big paddles. It was huge, yeah. It was yeah. scary. The one I and saw, they had lost us their down. I about shit myself. I was like, Michael, you better keep driving. That thing is well, that's high in our car. We better go. Things, you ever hear those things fight, man? They're, like, they're scary. They're, they're like, when their paddles come together, they, it's, yeah, wo- it, they're like wood. So it's just like smashing with that force. It's terrifying. But the elk are also equally as terrifying. They're big. Depending. The ones over by the Stanley are like, hey, welcome to Stanley. <laughs> I know. <laughs> This is my sign. I live here. <laughs> They're just really used to humans. Thanks for that. Thanks for that maze of food you left yeah, for thank us. You. <laughs> oh my god! And even a tornado. What? Uh, that wasn't a real tornado. That was wasn't. Like, that's not a tornado. Not that a tornado. was like a windstorm. Yeah, that was. They're a in the fucking woods, dude. Yeah. There's no tornadoes. Not in, in the mountains in Alaska. No. Who? <laughs> I, 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 as, I was like, come on, Wikipedia. As someone who grew up in Tornado Alley, I missed in that big straight line across the country, uh, Alaska was part of Tornado <laughs> Alley. I missed that one. Don't you know that Alaska's part of the whole Twister season, too? <laughs> That's how some I, people found their gold, Aaron, is because the tornadoes took all the gold and spun it around. Technically, if you have the very specific, because it's all about where the direction the wind's going Mm -hmm. the wind up above is going one direction pressure down below is going another direction and then they collide and that creates a tornado that is the most basic version of a tornado whatever the fuck happened to him was not a goddamn that was not a fucking tornado i don't even remember them saying tornado in the book i mean either so either way some kind of wilderness storm tcm needs to get their description game on point 
Come on, TCM. Tornado. That person never saw the movie. That's what I think. (laughs) They're like, a tornado, sure. Divorce, tornadoes, turtle eggs, yeah. (laughs) Over time, Brian develops his survival skills, thank God, and becomes a fine woodsman. Over, no. He's still fucking terrible You saw my face go, "Mm -mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. He crafts a bow, some arrows, and a fishing spear to aid in his hunting. He also fashions a shelter out of an underside of a rock overhang. He does do the smart thing where he has those, the wind and when the bear comes through, it like acts as a warning system. Uh-huh. That, so that's a smart thing. I'll put you on the right. Okay, right. but it took him ages to fucking to figure out how to build the shelter and start a fire. He still he did was it. out there he didn't for die. at least two weeks before he attempted to do any of the basic survival stuff you need to do moment. Yeah, one. he was busy shitting his brains out for two weeks after eating those <laughs> berries. That was literally the first thing he went through with the berries. <laughs> So he was a little busy on the toilet. Well, no toilet. So he was busy on whatever he was using for a toilet. During his time alone, Brian struggles with memories of home as well as the bittersweet memory of his mother, whom Brian had caught cheating on his father before their divorce. Oh, I thought the father was cheating with another woman. Ah, that's why he's pissed at his mom. That's why he was breaking the window. Here's the problem. (laughs) Here's the problem. The best. We don't know who's who because all the white men in this movie look alike. Dude. And I don't even know who his daddy is. That's coming from somebody who's white. Correct. So I was like, just to be clear. All the white men just look, to be clear. look alike in this movie. And I don't know who's who. So yeah. Maybe she didn't know who's who either. She, she thought the that wrong she guy. Was, she thought she was making out with his dad. She was like, wait, Brian, I thought it was your dad. And he was like, that's not my dad. Can't you tell? What do we all look alike to you, mom? Punch through a window. <laughs> Oh, my God. That's so funny. Oh, my God. When a sudden tornado hits the area, it draws the tail of the plane towards the shore of the lake. This triggers Brian's thoughts that there may be a survival pack of some sort on the plane. Now, he makes a raft from a few broken off treetops to get to the plane. When he cuts his way into the tail, he drops his hatchet in the lake and dives in to get it. No! Ah! He freaks out. (laughs) when he drops his hatchet we're like go get it it's not that far down you can see it i have something to add according to the weather channel okay tornadoes can hit alaska once 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 every 20 years so alaska slash northern canada can on the rare occasion, which is what I was saying. On the rare occasion, I feel is like it's supposed possible. to be like a 20-year storm sort of a thing. Or like I guess the the pressure changes every 20 years around because it's a much closer to the sea. And yeah. that's the thing why they call it Tornado Alley, Tornado Alley, is because it's all those landlocked states that are fighting from pressure from both coasts. Right. They're you know not what I mean? getting any direct coastal pressure. Yeah. So I just wanted to make sure. That it was that we remotely <laughs> possible to have a tornado in Alaska. Still not in so the I time guess frame. It's they've still got a two... rare, a rare occurrence. But it is not impossible. Yes. Neither is this dumbass kid surviving in the woods. Apparently, for four months. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So these are all mythical. <laughs> <laughs> Brian's mythical journey. <laughs> it was all in his head. He actually died within the first three days. Hatchet, the fantasy story. <laughs> You too can survive if you don't have all the survival tactics you need going into it. 
Once inside the plane, Brian finds a survival pack that includes additional food, an emergency transmitter, and a 22 AR rifle. There's a fucking AR-7 rifle in there? Yeah. A 20.22 AR-7 rifle. All summer. All summer. That could have saved you with that fucking bear. And then you know what? Bear meat. Well, you and I were talking about that. I was like, but watch out for trichinosis. He killed the bear. He killed the bear, but you do have to watch out for like trichinosis and shit and worms because bear meat can make you go crazy if you're not careful. I mean, That's why you have to cook the hell out of it. I mean, yeah, I don't know too many people who go hunting for bears for meat. You know what I mean? Have you had bear before? No. Have I've you? had bear before. What is the flavor profile? Right, of I'm gonna make bear. a note because we gotta finish this. We have to I will give this, you. I need. I, will give I need you an bear answer meat to bear mean. meat. The look on your face, you're like, uh, bear meat. I mean, I shouldn't give you that look because I've eaten some weird shit too. Like I know what snake tastes like. Yeah, and it's kind of like fish. But anyway, anyway, back on the shore, Brian activates the transmitter, but not knowing how to use it, he thinks it is broken and throws it aside. However, his distress call is heard by a passing airplane, and he is rescued. He's like, who are you? I'm Brian. You want some food? You want, some, you want something You just to eat? got the food. Don't share. I mean, you, the guy, look, you look like you need it more than I do. <laughs> In the end, Brian spends the remainder of the summer with his father, but does not disclose his mother's affair. The end. Why should we give a shit about the Hatchet movie, A I Cry say, in the Wild? I remember the book being better than this movie. I enjoyed oh, the yeah. book. The book oh, was yeah. like a the really triumphant good. story. I Brian believed was, that that kid was struggling and learning. This kid seemed like it was a series of dumb luck. For sure. For sure. Brian in the book was a lot more engaging and you really felt like you were going on this journey with him. This kid I not, wanted to like punch in the mouth. We just dropped somebody off while we were filming Planet Earth because it was very much like beautiful nature No, dude is a kid from this was the, the nerd Lost Boys. From, the nerdy kid. They yeah. were like, you know what? It's getting a little too close for comfort with all these vampires in San Diego. We're going to fly you up to northern Canada with your dad because your mom's been cheating out a bunch. Maybe that's what it was. His mom was cheating with a bunch of vampires. Vampires. And then he was like, ah, window punch. And they were like, you're too <laughs> angsty for this. Let's send you to Canada. <laughs> then he never made it to Canada. He never made it. Oh, my gosh. So this movie was a... I do remember the TV. book being better. The book was way better than this the fucking movie. The book was movie. so much better. That is, I feel like, a question we should definitely be asking ourselves throughout this season is... Which version is better, the book or the movie? I also vaguely remember, even though it was upsetting, Call of the Wild was better than the movie, too. I feel like the book is always better. There's a richness that that's you're able to true. get into. Well, that's, that's, that's true. That's not true. But with typically, I feel like there's a richness that you're able to get in the books that you're not able to get or at least imagine as well because somebody's imagining it for you in the film version. But then think about with Harry Potter where we were always like, oh, we're upset they missed this little detail and that would have made more sense in the context of the movie if you had just added this one little thing. I understand that you can't include everything in a movie. That's why it's an adaptation. Mm -hmm. So this film was put on PBS in 1990. It was a TV movie for PBS's Wonderworks series. What else was in the Wonderworks series? Was it their book series like these? I do. I do believe it was a book series. That would make sense if that was mm -hmm. what that was. This book is also banned, even though we enjoyed it, and I didn't really think the content... Because a kid got lost in the woods? Because a has... guy had a heart attack while he was in a plane? Or because his mom was a hoe? 
all yes <laughs> all of the above d all of I the didn't above see, i didn't get the hoe part like i literally thought I, his dad was cheating and that's why his dad I moved also away to canada don't remember his mom being a hoe but according to the internet at large graphic depictions of trauma and injury made some schools uncomfortable presenting this literature injury happens though i feel like a lot of these things that are getting banned are because people are uncomfortable with reality a hundred percent and that was literally my next thing are the topics of this movie still relevant still talking about divorce people still get divorced people still get divorced people still get lost in the woods woods and (laughs) have to persevere over the face of adversity what are you teaching them not to persevere? You're, if you don't show examples of people persevering, people don't think that they can do it. That's why I feel like book banning is a serious way to hinder people's ability to grow and become leaders. Absolutely. 100%. I still think if I would have to pick between all of the books slash movies today that I think are still important and a really good read – Hatchet would probably be my pick. I well, you, it's the vividly one out of all remember of these Hatchet. that you and I remember. You and I both vividly remember them the most, and we didn't even grow up in the same areas. Mm-hmm. So that, to me, is a sign of a good book. And Gary Paulson's a really great author. Mm-hmm. And had I went down a Gary Paulson rabbit hole when I was a kid. I read a number of his other books. He's a very engaging writer for a young audience this and was... talks about intense topics for young kids. Who else... Who else is going to present that? We have to come across it. Parents are terrible at presenting. No, you giggle, but mom, like, what's sex? And you're like, oh god, and then they fucking freeze up. So it's a, unfortunately, it's the job of a lot of authors. Judy Bloom is brought up a lot and of times. Teachers often teachers are the ones that are having conversations with these mm-hmm. kids. But the thought is, this book made me want to go learn survival skills. Well, I was talking to you about that while we were watching it. Yeah, for the inevitable. I just feel like expecting it not to happen and just going about your life like it's not going to happen. That's when things sideswipe you the most. I feel like living out here in Colorado, things are a little bit more real to me. You can see the trees. You're like, oh. Well, not even that. So (laughs) There's that hatchet kid. I saw his plane go down just right there. (laughs) When I moved out here, something that happens in the news a lot that I had to get used to was the amount of news of people who get lost or die in the mountains, whether it be hiking or skiing or A lot of ones that A lot of people get hurt in the mountains. And or so if you don't I've know, read a lot of suicidal ones too, where people like they just walk off into the woods and then they just don't come back. Yeah. So knowing what to do is helpful. Knowing the difference between a fern and po- poison oak. Knowing the difference is that berry going to give me. going to make you shit yeah. out all your water. And then also he was drinking, drinking. straight from the lake. That, you that's another, was... that's a tick for berry and uh, the stupid column. Berry. Because this fucker. Water, he, drink it straight from the water. You can filter water through the charcoal, like the leftover burnt stuff from your fire. Yeah. He could have torn a piece of fabric. There was filtered probably a the water, water filter through. in the fucking plane. But if with he wouldn't have waited kit. fucking four months to go back also, to the plane. Also, all that stuff was submerged in water, was it not? I know, but I feel like a lot of those emergency bags tend to be waterproof. They're they waterproof, but like that's waterlogged not, for four months yeah, yeah waterproof meaning like they can withstand a lot of rain and being dunked in for a little bit but not being kept underwater for four months no, or for three sure. months or whatever even a month 
It's like, ew, this has mold in it. And he's like, mmm, 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 mmm. I was like, enjoy your next bout of shits, dude. Because <laughs> like, that's not going to be fun for you. Uh, this kid, his survival diet, everything took him too long. And did I learn some of this stuff when I was a Girl Scout? Yeah. That's why I think boy, I was like, man, this is making the Boy Scouts seem like an ever more important thing. I feel like everybody should have base survival tactic knowledge for when things go tits up, when your power goes out, when That's there's a storm, important. when there's all of that. That's not important. Standardized testing is important. Well, Chloe, that was the we basis. We got to make sure the test numbers are high enough. For what, dude? Because they're not really we tested didn't learn into anything. Okay, let's, let's just t- take a fucking moment here. But we didn't learn shit in school. About we, survival? No. Or, I mean, we were kind of the last group of people to learn home ec stuff. I was just about to say, I don't Home even, ec isn't around anymore. I honestly don't. Th- I think that it stopped before us, like a shade before us, maybe in different parts of the country. but It wasn't required in high school, but it was required in middle school. It wasn't required in middle school for us, really, and it was an elective in high school. It was also an elective in high school. So they made it optional, but no one's doing it. And I was like, I met too many kids in college who didn't know how to fucking boil water or make a meal for themselves. Or sew a button back on to their jacket. Simple stuff. I was the person that was sewing buttons back on for people. I'm not not even kidding. I I was the one who was definitely doing that. And just, well, because in college I worked at BB and I had bitches that would try to go like rip stuff and they'd be like, like pop a button off. And they'd be like, oh, can I get a discount, 10% off? And I was like, first of all, bitch, I'll sew that button for you on right now. Give me two seconds. And they're like, here you go, full price. And they're like, damn it. That's right. Yeah. Screw you trying to get a discount for popping off a single button. Buttons happen. That's why they give you an extra one, a little baggie on the inside. I think this book is where my fear, as much as I love the woods, I think this book is where my fear of getting lost in the woods probably came from. Crash landing in the wilderness, not having. I just a had a, a fear of thing. getting kidnapped. Because that was always what my parents were like. Don't watch out, the ice cream man. If you're not careful, they all escape from jail. They're gonna kidnap you. I know my parents said something similar. <laughs> Lots of stuff like that, but uh, I just feel like learning that those things are important. And if you don't learn those, you get a lot of stupid kids that are out. like that kid. I don't believe that that kid would have survived. Based no. on what we were seeing, no. In the book, that's why I said in the book it was more believable. They he take was a lot more time. He was naturally mm-hmm. discovering things, or a lot of it is, oh, I kind of remember this. They were trying to do that in the movie. Okay, but like, do oh, you remember? remember that fireworks and the fireworks created a spark, and now I remember that it takes a spark to ma- like maybe your parents divorced because they were tired of dealing with your dumb ass. <laughs> I don't know. I might be speaking out my ass, but I do. Re- I feel like I remember in the book at the beginning when the plane crashes, his journey, like he hurts himself when the plane crashes. I yeah, remember there being pop out. a lot of time describing him just like coming in and out of consciousness for a couple of days yeah. where he just wasn't doing anything, which would make more sense. I might right. complain about Brian in the movie is that. He's just fucking around for a couple of days. He's not trying to build a fire. He's perfectly fine. He like swims to shore. Everything's great. Yeah. But in the book, Brian gets hurt after the plane crash. And it takes him some time to be able to get up to do those things. Correct. That makes more sense. Exactly. You're missing all of that in this adaptation. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, God, this kid just needs to go away. Just stop it with all of that. But yeah, I learning it. Home ec. You were talking about home ec and us not. I think we were the 
the last few people to really even I, I didn't get a home ec class and I think at the rate of all I was trying to prepare myself for college so I was taking more art courses and AP I yeah did AP and that's so there's I didn't no time have for home time ec. to take home ec but I really wanted to take home ec but my mom taught me that stuff or I taught myself from learning and watching my parents or Food Network girl <laughs> like Food Network Oh, right? Real. Food Network taught me. My life has been Alton sponsored Brown, by. <laughs> Alton Brown scientifically explained Rachel a lot Ray. of things. Girl, I was a Rachel Ray girl through and through. 30 minute meals, $40 a day. I just Those watched, are OG shows. Yeah, but I just watched a video of like two Mexican moms who were watching Rachel Ray make enchiladas and they were fucking. Or no, no, no it was a uh, Menudo. No, it wasn't. Well, Manudo. Rachel Ray has no business making Menudo. No, it was Pozole. It was Pozole. Well, regardless, whatever it, it, she has no business. She needs they were to doing stay it in they, her lane. Let me give you. Let me give you a snippet of what the reactions were. I know why you do that. <laughs> I love watching those little. They're Mexican so. Moms. Oh, they're yeah, so they're great. Funny. They were through and through offended. I bet. That, I mean, I would be too. They were. Just she like, does. You know what she? Basically, does? what she did. She didn't make what she said she was making. She made something completely different. That's what the Rachel Ray part does was. chicken tenders. Rachel Ray does <laughs> salmon. Rachel Ray does she do salmon? Though? Yeah, no, I have a really a, a one of her books with a really good salmon recipe in it. Okay, I have a couple of her books. Some of the early stuff, and she's even that said this, which I think is interesting. This is a bizarre fucking tangent to be on, but she said that she's definitely kind of lost a little bit of her zazz in the more recent years and isn't as creative as a chef as she used to be. And I feel like at least she's noticing it even too late for how when it was. Shit, yeah. But she had some good she had some good methods to try to make it so you weren't spending six hours in the kitchen. If I find that video again, I'm gonna send it to you because it was do. fucking funny. They were just like, I know why you know. Um bear meat. Yeah, bear meat. Bear fucking meat. tell me about okay. <laughs> now we're gonna go so, into a tangent about bear about meat. About bear meat. So and the weird shit we've eaten. Bear meat. <laughs> is it is it gamey? Is it like quail? It's gamey and it tastes good, but you have to cook the hell out of it. So one of the reasons I got access to bear meat, that's the first question. In some cases <laughs> It is the first question. <laughs> in, some, in some parts of the country, bears can be a bit of a nuisance. And there was, I think, this thing on the East Coast where they had an infestation issue. And so they like made it legal to hunt these bears in this area for a short period of time. They just had a mass amount of them. And I had dated a guy who was very into hunting and people that are into hunting go and hang out with other people that are into hunting. And because it is illegal to sell game meat, they trade. Oh, yeah. I know that. So yeah. not everybody knows that, though. Uh, I'm from a place where people yeah, it was like, you lot, know that. But, they, yeah. but it's like people trading like you can't just venison. Yeah. For you can't just quail. Get, you shit. have to get a license. You can't just yeah. go up there with a gun, shoot something and then be like, I'm going to sell it for profit like these coons. Doesn't worry like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was like ground up. It was like ground meat. It was like chuck. Yeah, kinda. it was ground meat. It was, it was yeah, kind of. And chuck. then we put it in a chili because you're supposed to bears get like I think it's like trigonosis or something. It's like a worm or something that can get in there where it will fuck up your stomach and make you really sick. If so, you have to just really. It's got to be well done. It's not something that you eat rare. No, no. With okay. venison, it's so lean that you just like literally sear it for a couple minutes on each side, 
and and it's cooked and it's good and it's delicious Love and it's venison. tender. Oh, so, so good. But with bear meat, you got to cook the fuck out of it and make it well done. And huh. so we put it into a chili and had like a bear chili. And it was good. Okay. It was good. It definitely tastes different. It's gamey, but not so gamey where you're like, oh, it's too gamey. I've eaten something illegal before. Also, a lot of times if you make anything ground, I'm going to get back to that. When you make anything ground up that's so lean, like a lot of that meat out there is lean because they're lean animals that are surviving off of, they're not eating fatty foods. So there's not a lot they're of eating fat a lot of on them. Roughage. Yeah. There's not mm. a lot of unhealthy fat. You think of, I think of it where butter, like butter is fat. Mm. But it, there's none of that really on mm. them. So that meat is a lot leaner. You typically have to bind that with a fattier meat in order to make something like a meatloaf where it'll stick together. Otherwise, it gets crumbly and brambly. I did a lot of game cooking when I dated that person. Interesting. Yeah, I don't really like gamey meat. The most exotic thing I ever had, I ate shark fin dumplings at a dim sum restaurant. I've had shark before. Shark is technically illegal. You're not supposed to serve that people but it was fucking delicious let's shark meat yum it depends on like the toxicity and then you don't want to over fish an area oh for sure that's like the biggest part of it i'm trying to think of i've had frog i've had snake yeah i'm not a huge fan of frog not a huge fan of snake snake's pretty whatever gator's not that great gator's also not that great people Um, really if you're down in the south though people really love gator yeah, it's everywhere. You have to get used to loving it. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> it's just got a greasiness to it, but all of those bigger reptiles are like a chicken-fish hybrid. Yeah. So it's an interesting texture, and there's not a lot with frog. You People are eating frog legs, so there's not a ton to it, and you can really identify it. That's my thing. I don't want to be able to identify <sighs> what it once was. Yeah, I have I've I've slowly kind of lessened on my weirdness for heads on food. Mm-hmm. Like I know that that used to have a head on it and used to have a brain and all that good stuff. But I really don't want the brain and everything at my table. But like that's cr- the thing we, is, that's Asian cultures to... really double down on whole items, whole fish, whole items. Yeah, yeah they because you just it's all cook. Well, it's, it comes down to a time efficiency thing, how you cook it, traditions, and then on top of that utilizing everything when you don't have a lot of food you that's eat true everything that's true that's true like the native americans like they all like you get all the bits which is why my mom vowed to us is she was like as long as i live i hated liver and onions as long as i live i will never feed you liver and onions and i was like yes like, even if it is a good source of protein mm-hmm. no that's actually kind of a good segue because everybody in this next movie was starving as fuck. No one was They were definitely shit. utilizing <laughs> everything. All the parts of the animal. Yeah. Uh, where the red fern grows. By the way, if you were wondering, that tally was three wrong, two right. We didn't really keep a full tally. Oh, but... no. There was a lot more wrong than right in that last Regardless, movie. in the loose tally that we count, Brian should have wrong. Definitely. Brian Berries. <laughs> A senior-aged Billy Coleman rescues a beagle from stray dogs. Chris Christopherson. He takes care of it, having flashbacks to when he was a 10-year-old boy living in the Ozarks. a lot of people having flashbacks. flashbacks. I feel like maybe there's more drug use than than (laughs) is being told to us in these movies and books. I do a lot of acid now that I'm not living in the Ozarks. (laughs) They were foraging for magic mushrooms, man. 
So they're down to the Ozark Mountains with his parents and two young sisters. Billy wants a pair of hunting dogs. Billy! Billy! But his parents cannot afford them. Billy tells his grandpa that he believes that God does not want him to have the dogs. His grandfather replies and says, Sidebar, there's a lot more Jesus in this one. There is a lot of Jesus. Get ready. A lot Mm -hmm. of Jesus in this one. His grandfather replies and says that he's got to meet God halfway. After coming across an article in a sportsman's magazine offering a pair of redbone coon hounds. Also at the top here, we're going to say coon a lot. Please don't come after us. Coon is in raccoon, not the, the other more offensive one. version of it. And Redbone is in the type of dog, dog, also not the offensive term. Yeah. It's fun fact, technically, I would be considered a Redbone. I'm, I'm a little speechless right now. Like, I knew that Redbone was probably, like, every, that whole whole Redbone coonhound, all of that is well, racist the, now. Uh, Childish Gambino song. That's what I think that's about. That's based off of, yeah, that's yeah. what that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that whole bit. He earns the money himself by working for two years straight. See, that was not implied. They it made was, it sound like he worked for like a weekend. The, the, <laughs> no, like a summer. I got like a summer, definitely like a season, but not two years. Yeah. I mean, he was making chump change and he, he was like making like nickels. Yes. And he was trying to save $50. Yeah. He reveals the money to his grandpa, having kept it secret from his family, fearing his father would use it for a long needed mule through the farm. Inspired by Billy's hard work, Grandpa promises him his hounds. Weeks later, Billy learns that the hounds were delivered to Tahlequah and not to Grandpa's store. Grandpa assures Billy that he can get a ride th- this weekend. Why didn't they take Why didn't They don't deliver hounds, boy. <laughs> they don't deliver live. He said they don't deliver live animals. Mm-hmm. Not the post office's job. Right. Billy's impatience and concern for his pup's well-being drives him to sneak out the following night and walk all the way to Tahlequah. He reaches his destination the following morning and gets his pups from the depot station. When Billy returns home the next day, everyone is thrilled with his new dogs, whom Billy has named Old Dan and Little Ann. Billy trains the pups to be hunting dogs. On his first night hunt, They chase a raccoon up a large sycamore. Though he's discouraged, he promises to cut the tree down. It takes him over a day, and he runs out of strength before finishing the job. After asking God for help, the wind blows the tree down, allowing the dogs to finish the hunt. I love that scene where the dogs are literally just sitting in the corner and like, (laughs) dude, can we go home yet? We did our job. We are so bored right now. Billy and his dogs become hunting legends in the Ozarks, bringing in countless coon hides. While at his grandpa's store, his rivals, Reuben and Rainy Pritchard, challenge him to beat his hunt and chase down the ghost coon, which seemingly disappears every time it hits a very specific tree on their property. Billy stays true to his morals and refuses. After goading him, however, his grandfather is provoked to accept the bet. Mm-hmm. Grandpa, you're going to rue the day. <laughs> karma is coming for you. Granted, they don't believe in karma. They believe in Jesus. <laughs> the boys and the dogs hunt after the ghost coon, which seemingly disappears after being treed. However, Billy investigates a nearby shed and finds the coon hiding inside the roof. The Pritchard boys' old hound dog, Blue, breaks free 
from the bondage that the boys have put him in. You mean the bondage of that thin-ass rope, rope that's yeah. super old that anybody could break through by blowing on it? Yeah, he got through. <laughs> so he breaks out and he gets into it. Like they're like, how do you get out? You're like, easily. <laughs> you didn't try to easily. tie him up that hard. He gets into a scuffle with old Dan, who overpowers old Blue. Everybody's calling their dogs old whatever. Old Dan and little Ann. As Billy climbs down to de-escalate the fight, Reuben attempts to kill old Dan with his hatchet. As Billy arrives, Reuben trips and falls on the axe. Rainy runs off to get help. Billy sees Reuben is already dead. Ridden with guilt, Billy vows that he'll never go hunting again. Grandpa persuades Billy to enter old Dan and little Anne in a championship raccoon hunting contest for the Ozarks. Billy decides to accept, agreeing with Grandpa that Dan and Anne deserve to prove their worth. At the coon hunt, Billy, along with his father and grandfather, reunite with the sheriff from Telequah, who is collecting for the hunt's prize money and gold cup. During the hunt, a thunderstorm strikes. Grandpa injures his leg after falling down a hill. Billy, because he was betting and the Lord said, I, uh-huh. know, I know this is the karma <laughs> coming back. Billy wins the hunt, ultimately, and presents his prize money to his mother and can finally a move from the Ozarks to Tulsa, where she's been talking this whole movie about how she wants to give her kids an education and teach them how to read and write. You could do that. You could teach your children that. It's something his mother's always wanted for the family. During a hunt at night, the dogs are attacked by a mountain lion. Billy scares it off with his hatchet. Little Anne survives, but old Dan is mortally wounded. The entire family mourns for the loss of old Dan. And after a few days, Billy finds little Anne dead at old Dan's grave, having succumbed to her heartbreak. His, it's so sad. His father says that his dogs have served their purpose in an answer to his mother's prayers to move. My answer would be, fuck you. You pray. <laughs> your prayers mean that my dogs die. Anyway, get to the end because we got to talk about this shit. As the family packs for the move, Billy visits the dogs' graves one last time and he sees that a red fern has grown between their graves. As they <gasps> just move, like the movie. Uh, just like the title of the movie. As they move... Older Billy narrates his desire to return to the Ozarks where the red fern grows. I never went back to the Ozarks, ever, but maybe one day I'll return, even though I'm old and I clearly don't have any investment in going back to the Ozarks. He doesn't sound like he's going to go back. It's like, I never went back, but I'd always but like to go. I like, might. It doesn't sound like you're going to. Why should we give a shit? Because this movie's so sad. This movie's so sad. Uh, Yeah. Dave Matthews. I, I just have to bring it up. So, okay. So we should say at this moment that there was a postpone bi- for some confusion. There was some confusion and we ended up watching different versions. And so then we ended up, each of us watched the other version. So, so we watched both versions, the 74 and the 2003. Yes. Holy shit. The 74 was much better. The 74 was so much better. So much And better. I'm really glad I watched that one first. <laughs> I know, but then you the watch the 2003 was... and you get the comedic, hum- absolute monstrosity that was Dave Matthews' that acting was performance. Like, okay, I like Dabney Coleman. I love yeah, me some Dabney great. Coleman. Mm-hmm, he was a good sure. grandpa. 
he was more authentically Southern than anybody else in that movie. I mean, basically, it was Dave Matthews and the kid. They were my biggest problems. For sure. Absolutely. And they had the most dialogue and the most scenes and they had the most everything. Oh, I know. And I was like, Dave Matthews, go back to South Africa and fucking find your sax player because the Ozarks don't want you no mas. (laughs) Yeah. Did you, you, in 2003, there was the, there was an internet. He could have looked up what Ozarks were like with the accent was like. That's the job of the other people on the film. That's literally like. Guys, we're supposed to like you're making a film about the Ozarks. Where's the authenticity? <sighs> Crash into Oklahoma. <laughs> I'm glad we ultimately. I know it was kind of a pain in the ass and a bit of a mix up, but I'm glad we ultimately watched both versions because I think I'm glad we did too. I because it allowed me to go in the '74 one. I was like, I was. Balling, yeah. In the '74 one, that one was really hard. I mean, I, I was. They built was the emotion up really well in the '74 one, but I was so distracted by Dave Matthews being so terrible, and then this kid. Let's talk about the. Differences. I just believed all the actors in the '74 one yes. more. Yes, yes, and I wanted to talk about that. So let's talk about the differences. One of them being that the kid who plays Billy in the '74 version, his name is Stuart Peterson. He's from Cokeville, Wyoming. Okay. So I feel like he was being authentic. Country boy. Yeah, he was authentically a country boy. And I felt like they always tried to find that more in the 70s, which is why you were getting more authentic performances, at least for American performances. Not mm-hmm. for, as we discovered all last season, not for anybody of any other ethnicity. Yeah, for sure. Authenticity wasn't coming around until the 90s. Big names weren't a get, I feel like, until the 80s. The 80s is when, yeah. when they were really hinging on names. I mean, names have always sold movies, yeah. but there was more of an opportunity for other movies to kind of get in the mix. Yeah. Up until the 80s. There was a shift in the 80s. For sure. So in the 74 version, all the bets they were making were $2. Correct. And then in this one, in the 2003, I get I was like, inflation. (laughs) They were $5. But they're supposed to be poor. So I feel like still having a $2 bet is appropriate. Yeah. For 20s era, depression era, Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, oh, $50 is a lot. But he's like, $5 is a bet I can make. Grandpa seems like maybe he's eating a little too much licorice, (laughs) selling a little too many kids tobacco. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. (laughs) Those kids were shitty. And in the 74 version, I really didn't like those kids. So when that kid died, I was like, "Yeah, yeah, get it. And that was the other thing. So in the 74 version, let's talk about the axe killing scene. They were all the kids were fighting and their dogs were fighting down by the river, by the creek, once old blue got out. Yes. And Billy tripped the kid because he was gonna get the axe and try to like kill his dog. And then the kid fell onto the axe. Correct. So that's why, and then that scene, they're not actually at the funeral, they're at a distance, and he feels really bad because the Pritchards and their family have this beef together. Yeah. And he's like, I feel really bad. It's my fault that he's dead. And then in the 2003, they're like, it's all of our faults that he's dead. <laughs> but no, <laughs> because that was the thing was that Billy wasn't going to let his axe go. That was his hunting utensil. It was always strapped to him. And I get in this instance, it fell off. And that's why the Pritchard kid picked it up and then tripped. And they were on a hill. 
in this other one, they were all dealing with the dogs and then the kid was like, I want to pick up the axe to kill your dog. And then he somehow fell. And then even though the axe was up here, the axe somehow made it onto the kid's body. Movie magic. And then the brother was like, I'll go get help. But in the 74 version, Billy was like, your brother tripped and was yelling at the other Pritchard kid to go get help. Correct. He was like, go get help, you stupid fuck. Your brother's obviously dead. <laughs> or, But he also, it made more sense about him being a God-fearing, becoming a man because he stayed with this kid until he died. Because the kid was like, I remember in that one, he was like, please take it out. It was like the softest most authentic and I was like it made me want to cry because those kids were super shitty and it was the only little moment when the kid's like please take it out and he was like obviously Billy was like if I take it out guy you're gonna start spurting blood everywhere so I can't do that (laughs) but he was a lot smarter I felt like his authenticity of working hard made more sense with this other little kid I just didn't believe it you know it just didn't make any sense and then the Telequa fight scene because at the they have it's funny to hear the same lines in both movies. Correct, isn't it? Because that, that sheriff was like, "If it ain't the same kid who tried to fight the whole town," I was like, "That kid didn't try to fight the whole town. He like barely fought a kid or two. Yeah. But in that first movie in '74, that kid fucking was like, "I don't want to do it, but I'll fucking take all of you. I'll put my dogs down. Don't touch my dogs." And he was like popping every kid in the face. So that line made sense. That's what bothered me too about this one. I was like, it doesn't. I feel like it's missing there were important some holes. parts. Yes. There were some definite holes. Unlike it, uh, the movie holes that we just watched. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but it oh, and in the 2003 version, he gets shoes. He does get shoes. But he goes the, on a little shopping spree. He does go the shopping spree is accurate, but also too, he's fucking poor. Where is he getting money for a brand new pair of shoes? And overalls, about that. and dogs, and candy, and yards of fabric for your mom's Mom, dress, and something for the sisters. Yeah, the candy that was with the mushy centers. That yeah. was their whole thing. But I was like, where the fuck are you getting money for shoes? You had ten dollars extra. Those shoes are going to be more than more than those oh, overalls. Yeah. And then there was a whole bit where it's like, I don't understand why people, how people can wear these shoes. That kid never wore shoes <laughs> in the first oh, one. For sure, never didn't come back from that town wearing shoes. He was like shoeless life forever. Till I have to go to school to a big city. But I did not get from the 74 version that his mom was half Native American. No. The blonde haired, blue eyed lady. No, I didn't get that. That was not mentioned at all. And then in this one, he mentions the beginning oh, my mom was half, which makes sense as to why she's telling all those Indian stories. Correct. Right? It makes a lot more sense. Right? I was like, huh? So that's, I literally wrote this down because I was giggling through all of these because it happened in a a call in the wild. And it also happened in where the red fern grows. Where we're going to take your land and tell your stories. Absolutely right. It was like, oh, but this makes more sense that she's still telling stories authentic to her personal life, and it makes mm. more sense they go into more why they're there. The mom is from that land, and so it makes more sense as to their battle of why they don't want to leave, why they're there to begin with. That all of that makes a little bit more sense, and her whole. Red fern connection. Correct. I've always wanted to see one. Okay, white lady. <laughs> so you want to know why this book was banned? Because this book's banned too. Because of dead dogs? Yeah. Well, specifically depiction of violence. Against raccoons. <laughs> and my question was... Pete is, is really upset. Right. My question was, is the violence in the story enough to diminish the hard topics that it's trying to work through? Poverty, death... Working towards life goals, being kind to one another. There's some really big talk about big lessons about this kid 
becoming. And even though they're using it, that was the other thing, man. In 2003, there was a lot more Jesus music. Mm. In the 74 version, it was a lot more corn rigs and pirates. Ah, uh, there was some serious banjos going on in there, well, too. Well, there was banjos, but then it was like a little more folk singing yeah, than yeah. like, Jesus is radio station in the 2000s. Like, that's what that felt like. I was like, oh, God, can I mute? I'm not even joking. Rob was like, he was like, I know you're watching movies and I'll do respect, but I was like, you shut that door. He's like, yeah. I was like, I would have done the same thing if I didn't have to watch the movie by Dude, I didn't love the Jesus music. Don't say that. I... But I mean, it, it. I will say, it's very appropriate for the area and the time. Well, they're talking about meeting God halfway in that lesson, and I think something that friends of my father's have always told me about when it comes to religion, you can still get the lessons and the good information that they're trying to give you if you reframe how they're trying to show it to you. So, meeting God halfway. It's not that you have to meet God halfway. You have to put in half, at least half the work. Yeah. At least half the work. So there's still good lessons to be learned. So I can see people like, oh, we're talking about too much about Jesus. Ban. Oh, they're talking too much about raccoon violence. The dog Peter dies. Wants to and that makes me sad. Ban. But dealing with death is important because like we've talked about before, people do not understand how to deal with death fully. Definitely not in the States. And that was evident before, but definitely after the pandemic, when people weren't getting it, people weren't understanding it. I have full-on adult friends who were like, I just don't get it. So I couldn't support you. And I never called you for months and months and months, even though we've been friends for over 20 years, because you can't deal with something. So reading a book, books are supposed to be the avenue, a safe space of imagination for people to act out those ideas. They're video games before video games. And challenge their own thoughts. How else were you supposed to act out those things and see scenarios transpire in front of your face before video games? Yeah, for sure. OG video games. Well, OG TV too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, girl. Are you kidding me? Be like, I'm going to light a candle instead of sitting down to watch Succession. I'm going to read a good book. That's what people did. Because that's all you have. Yeah. (laughs) Or that was like a sexy thing people used to do. They'd read to each other. Instead of watching a show at night, they would like read poetry back and forth to one another. No one does that really anymore. People do. People think you're weird if you do. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to lie. If some modern day dude was like, hey, baby, I'm going to read you a bunch of poetry, I might think he was trying to murder me. A hundred percent. Because it depends on the situation. And I feel like it was more acceptable to openly recite poetry and Mm. have poetry memorized. You were an educated person if you had recited poetry. It was Mm. like a party trick that you used to pull out. Now you seem a little creepy. Yeah. I don't know where that line got drawn, but it did. TV and movies and people stopped reading. It was less important Mm -hmm. to know sonnets and poems and that kind of stuff. Right. They're like, oh my God, you freak. You're sitting in a dark room all day reading poetry by yourself. Why don't you watch TV like a normal person? No. It's important to do all the things. I think it's good to watch, to read books and to watch TV and movies, but everything in moderation. For sure. McDonald's french fries are delicious. Doesn't mean you should eat them every fucking day. 100%. And I think all three of these stories, ultimately, to kind of like put a a cap on it, they all still have value. Mm -hmm. Even fucking Charles and Heston and Call the Wild. It all still has value. There's all still. (laughs) He was like, because he was like the mean, gruff guy that was going to protect the dogs. I was like, if I believe 
one person on this icy tundra is going to protect those dogs. It's going to be you. No, that's for sure. But I, especially that sleazy alcohol vendor. Oh, yeah, for sure. That I just creepy. feel like the growth that each character from each story had is still valuable. And there's still life lessons that are still like valuable. Do you feel like Charlton Heston's character grew, though? In the book, he okay. grew a lot I was more. like, in the if movie, he, I feel like he was just Charlton Hestoning around the world. You know in what I mean? <laughs> these books. I'm speaking as much for the books yeah. as the movies right now. The characters really grow, and especially the last two because they're boys and they're kind of coming of age mm-hmm. stories. They really have a big character progression from page one to page whatever to, to the end. And I feel like they're, that's valuable to see because a lot of times we don't see – fun story. I don't see a lot of character growth on TV these days. No, so a lot of times the character in episode one and episode 20 is the exact same and they shouldn't be. We'll throw back to because it was on podcast. That's their overlying theme that they always talk about is what makes a sitcom is the fact that the characters never grow. Character growth is seemingly exclusive to more dramatic shows that are going somewhere and pushing for something with sitcoms they keep like and then like trip over themselves everybody just and you go back to the same thing it's a situational comedy you know Mm -hmm. it's like always the same situation essentially yeah but i think it's interesting because so we focused on this episode we focused specifically on like male coming of age yes in in the woods boys in the wood i was like literally all these (laughs) it was like boys outside that's kind of where i clumped all of these together also it was white boys outside a lot of white boys outside with dogs involved and or wolves wolves and dogs there was one person of color and it was that skeevy fucking housekeeper that sold the dog to begin with who i think a sidebar was probably trying to rescue that dog because those those girls were like let's dress you up and the dog's like i don't love this you bring up a really good point that these are all white men and i have in my older years really kind of felt a little pissed off that I didn't get to read and wasn't exposed to any Native American or black authors. Do you know how many really? coming of age stories there are in Native American culture? A so lot. many. So many. And they're fascinating. Because they're a lot more aggressive than the American white kid versions. Absolutely. Because they still like send their kids off to have like wilderness quests on their own and really discover themselves. And I think American families pat and protect their children so much. There's no fucking way they would let little Billy go out there on the on his own. I just, I don't know. I'm just challenging the universe, basically. If we're going to still find value in these stories, I think we should also find value in other culture stories. For sure. My, I'm, I'm assuming your education as well, pretty fucking white centric. Oh, yeah. World history was basically... With the exception of white man's world. Now we're going to read Black Boy in Uncle Tom's Cabin and you're the only brown girl in class. We need an opinion. (sighs) You want to know what 30 white faces all turning at the same direction sound like? (laughs) To look at you. It was me and one other black girl. We were just like, dude, this is exhausting. Yeah. It's interesting, though, because right now I feel like Netflix has been shitting out female coming of age stories that are being put on and it's all not girls going through it. That's my point. Is they're all like high school and they're trying to throw in people of color like it's they're trying to make it cool and they're like, oh, this is little Indian girl and she's having a coming of age in America. But it feels like it was it's so late that it doesn't feel the same. 
We are going to touch on more female-oriented coming-of-age stories next episode. Good, because I feel like this is like the NBA and WNBA of coming-of-age stories. For sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, let more people are invested it's be... in Hatchet, but less people are into the... Well, because I feel like all the coming-of-age stories for women are like, oh, my God, I'm quivering and I'm sad. And this boy doesn't like me. There ain't no bitches going out there being like, I'm cutting throats of wolves and no one's, ah. You know what I mean? Yeah. We need more of that. I fibbed. It's not next episode. It's two episodes from now. But we are going to get into more female-oriented coming-of-age stories. And those, that's going to be I feel like a really interesting discussion. Ones. 100%. And I want to call back to what we just talked about today in a couple episodes when we get to those movies. But we're going to call on... it a cry in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's a great title. <laughs> Write that one down. So that is a wrap on this week's episode. And next week we have some even more cute critters lined up because we had a lot of cute puppies this week. Next week we've got some other. Yeah, we're going to take it into animals. animals. Less about aggressive angsty white dudes and more about I needed a animals. break before we get into angsty teenage girls. So we needed oh, some animals. Child, please. Yeah, we <laughs> Yes. So what do we got? What's the movies close? What are we watching? You're watching Charlotte's Web from 1973. Classic. Watership Down from 1978. Nice. And Black Beauty from 1994. The movie that made me want a horse. Girl, I wanted a horse so bad. So bad. You want to know something so really unfair? I was the kid in America, and I wanted a pony so bad. And then my cousin in France was taking horse riding lessons. So I was like, right. you live in France? You get to eat cheese all the time and ride on ponies? What is my life? <laughs> I'm black in America. This sucks. <laughs> ah, shit, dude. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I'm really excited to talk about those movies. Those are some favorites. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify. they warmer and cuddlier. Oh, and we to a point. Less bloody dogs. There are less bloody dogs. A lot of bloody dogs. But there is there's some issues in the next one. <laughs> there's issues. We're gonna talk about it. So don't forget to follow us on Spotify. And while you're over there, hop on down and subscribe to the show for extra monthly content. Hit that follow button on our social media accounts, the required viewing podcast on all the things. And head on over to our personal accounts and see what we're doing. Aaron Molina official on all the things. Chloe Riggs makes things on Instagram. Instagram. And until next week, my friends, happy viewing. Happy viewing. Billy. This has been a Required Viewing Network production. A big thank you to the RVP team. Director, writer, producer, host, Aaron Mullane. Social media manager, graphics, editor, producer, host, Chloe Riggs. As well as a big thank you to our guest contributors and the RVP community for supporting the show. This is required viewing.